Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. The senators have tried to pass a bipartisan bill on immigration, voting rights, crime, tax reform. The list goes on. Each time they failed, and each time senators have pointed fingers at each other and everyone's favorite punching bag, the filibuster. But as senators begin bipartisan talks on gun control legislation, can they really blame anybody but themselves if they fall flat? James Walner, resident senior fellow at the R Street Institute, joins us. He also teaches a class at Clemson University, former GOP Senate aide and a great part of our program here. Great piece in Reason, reason reason.com, called The Senate's Latest Gun Debate or Gun Bill Will Fail, but not because of the filibuster. James, thanks for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. So let's dive into this. Uh, so you say whatever the senators are, are working on to come up with is likely to fail. Uh, and, of course, as always, people are going to point at the filibuster as the problem. Uh, but you say it's not the filibuster that's a problem. It's the senators. Tell us about it. Well, I think the reason why a gun bill is likely to fail in the Senate is because of the way in which they're going about, the senators are going about crafting that bill behind closed doors. And they're making it harder on themselves because they're demanding consensus from uh, participants in negotiation in private before they take this controversial policy to the floor and try to get the votes for it. And that just it stacks the deck against them and it makes it that much harder for them to prevail in the end. There also seems to be a lot of chatter that uh, there are going to be, you know, whatever it is, a few days that uh, Senator Schumer seems to be allowing them to to work on this and then – if they can't get that perfect thing behind closed doors and they're going to come out and, uh, you know, do an assault weapons ban bill that everyone knows will not pass uh, so that they can, again, go back to, well, see, it's it's this side or it's that side that's really the problem. That's right. And if your listeners would just think back to the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and ask themselves if senators had, instead of putting that bill on the floor, instead of allowing for a full and open debate that was the longest filibuster in the Senate history that eventually yielded this landmark piece of legislation, if they instead had met behind closed doors with a select few group of senators, demanded consensus from all of those participating in that process, and then put that bill on the floor and said, you can debate it for one, maybe two days maximum, and nobody can offer amendments to it, Ask yourself, would that have passed? And I think we can all say reliably that it would not have passed. And we might still be sitting around waiting for it to pass. And so I really think we have to look at the senators themselves and how they're going about this for why bills aren't passing the Senate. 
Yeah, we we always say uh, you have to be aware of doors, especially behind closed doors and rooms, uh, where uh, often those deals get cut or they get uncut. Uh, you actually use an example in your piece at Reason dot com, uh, talking about uh, twenty fifteen, uh, when uh, uh, after the uh, San Bernardino, California shooting, or uh, twenty thirteen uh, after the Sandy Hook Elementary. Just for our listeners, just kind of walk them through how that played out in the Senate. Right. There's a familiar script, and we are all horrified by these uh, by these tragic events, and no one wants to see them happen. But what happens is senators come out and they express outrage. They do, you know they say they're going to work together. They then fail. They may have a show vote or two, and then they go on about their business and they drop it very quickly. The last time the Senate debated a gun bill on the floor was in 2013. It was a three-day debate. A three-day debate. Democrats blamed the filibuster for the fact that their gun bill, the Toomey Mansion bill, didn't pass. But it, they also simultaneously used the filibuster to block three Republican proposals that had over 51 votes as well. But yet we don't see people criticizing the Democrats for filibustering the Republican proposals. And then after that failed, after three days, the Senate dropped it as quickly as they could. Nobody so much as talked about guns anymore on the Senate floor. And it took until 2015 in the San Bernardino shooting for them to bring it up again. And they had two drive-by votes very quickly. They both failed. And then they just moved on about their business. And now here we are again. And the Senate says, this is a crisis. We must act. And so what do they do? They go home for a week. They take a vacation. They're going back to their states. And then they're going to come back and they're going to put a bill on the floor. It'll be a perfunctory process. It's not going to get enough votes, uh, in their opinion. There won't be a consensus because this is a controversial issue. And then guess what's going to happen? Nothing. And they're going to go on about their business. They're going to point fingers and then they will drop it as quickly as they can. I think one of the important things we have to, to recognize in all of this, uh, I've, I've equally called out uh, Senator Schumer as the leader. And when Senator McConnell was the leader of the Senate, uh, I think they have not just a desk with uh, piles of, of bills on them, uh, but probably vaults. Uh, of things that either have been passed in the House or things that are there that they just kind of ignore uh, and wait to go away. Or, as you said, they have some sort of uh, show vote or, uh, you know, a drive-by kind of vote in terms of uh, getting it done. Uh, but we, we have to get back to this different space in terms of can we actually put it on the floor and, and can we have senators be committed for more than three days of debate uh, to actually debate it, have amendment process so people can try to make it better uh, and do it in front of the American people as opposed to in rooms and behind closed doors? Yeah, I think that's right. Look, the Senate is the place where we negotiate the non-negotiable. If we could figure these things out without a big debate, we wouldn't need the Senate. We we wouldn't be there. We would have already Mm -hmm. resolved these issues. For better or worse, the American people feel strongly about certain issues. When they feel strongly about those issues, the only place where you can ultimately resolve them, and this goes back to the beginning of the republic, is on the House and Senate floors. You can't do it behind closed doors. You have to do it out in the open, and you have to let the process play out. And out of that struggle, out of the different sides struggling to win, you will get compromise. But you can't have compromise by definition without first disagreeing, mm. without having that political conflict. That's consensus, not compromise. And if you have consensus, you don't need Congress. 
Wow, that's uh, that is so spot on, and uh, that we have to have the disagreement. It's it is about having deciding there is a disagreement, so we can actually have a debate about something. Uh, and often we do just point to the to the leaders, the to the McConnells and Schumers of the world. Uh, but you've often made the case, James, that that every senator has the power to actually do that if they would just choose to use it. That's right. Senator Chris Murphy, I believe that he believes deeply in this issue. I take him at face value. I think he's sincere. But he says things like, we are never going to give up. But then he blames the filibuster. But you can't filibuster a bill that's not on the floor. Senator Chris Murphy can go to the floor. He can make a motion to proceed to a bill. He can offer amendments to bills. He, on his own, without anybody's permission, can bring this issue up and confront his colleagues with it and ask them to take a position. And if he doesn't like their position, he can do the same thing the next week and the same thing the following week. And eventually, if he's right and the people are with him, then the senators will eventually come to his side, or at least they'll find a compromise. That's how it works. But instead, he says, I'm never going to give up. And then he doesn't do anything. And he blames other people for the reasons why he's not doing anything. And we wonder why the Senate doesn't work. Yeah, we've got to get back to that regular order and restore the Senate uh, as the place it's supposed to be, the the great place of debate uh, where, where things can actually happen. James Walner, resident senior fellow at the R Street Institute, uh, always an extraordinary thinker, great writer, great piece on Reason.com. You should check that out today. Uh, James, thanks for weighing in on this. This is one of those crucial conversations. Well, thanks for having me. All right. Uh, great stuff from James Walner. Uh, every single individual senator can bring anything to the floor at any time. They don't have to wait for Senator Schumer and Senator McConnell. They don't have to ask Mother May I or anything else. They can bring it. There's no excuses. Let's have the conversation. Let's have the debate in front of the American people. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.